morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Oh. <laughs> Front and center. <laughs> Very nice. Oh. All righty. Well, as Melissa mentioned last week, while we're traveling through the Gospel of John this series, we aren't going to be reading it in its entirety. Um, and so I'm going to give you a quick fill-in about maybe what we missed between Jesus' encounter with the woman in the well, chapter 5, which Melissa preached on last week. And if you haven't listened to it, please go back and do so. Um, you can do that on our podcast, which is on, available on Apple and Spotify, I believe, and just like the website. Um, and um, we're going to be going into chapter 6, but the latter part of chapter 6 today, um, starting in verse 30. So in the first part of chapter 6, we have the pretty likely familiar story of Jesus feeding 5,000 people. A miracle that allows Jesus to use only five loaves of bread and two fishes. Fish? Two fish. Thank you. I taught English. (laughs) (laughs) To feed more than... (laughs) My fellow English teacher is like, did you? Um, (laughs) Fishies. Oh, fishies. That feels more me. Um, He he fed more than 5,000 people and somehow had leftovers to gather several baskets um, of food. The response to this miracle was a lot of people saying like, wow, what a cool thing to do. This guy must be really special, probably the son of God, like he's telling us, but um, this is like a really big thing. Um, Shortly after that, Jesus walks on water in a storm, um, which is another pretty cool miracle. And then we get to the exchange that we're going to read about today. But right before that moment, Jesus is asked by someone, what can we do so that we can gain God's favor and approval? And Jesus says, you know what you got to do? You just got to trust the one that God sent. That's it. Easy. (laughs) This is a pretty sticky spot for a lot of people, um, as it seems that when asked what we should do to get on the good side of God, Jesus says, well, you're not actually going to do anything. You're just going to believe. And if you're like me, that's not super helpful because it's not a step-by-step structure to follow. Um, And so there's not some sort of neat finish line to cross when you've accomplished it. But in case you like get stuck in the worry about that, you could just put that aside because it's going to get even more difficult to understand um, today. Before we get started, though, I would like us to take a quick moment to check in with ourselves. I'm going to do a quick body scan. Um... Take a deep breath, okay? We're going to use our bodies this morning to consider how the bodies of the folks in our passage might have been feeling. And so I think it's important to consider what our bodies might be telling us right now. Maybe you're hungry. Maybe you're tired. Maybe you're pretty comfy on the cozy couch. Whatever you notice, just honor it. Thank your body for communicating with you, and then settle in. You're welcome to follow along with me. We're going to go ahead and read the passage, starting in verse 30 of chapter 6. I'll be reading from the First Nations version, but you can read along with whatever you'd like. There's a couple of spots I'm going to stop, but we'll, we'll pretty much read the whole um, passage. Chapter 6, verse 30. What powerful sign will you show us that we should trust in you? Remember, this is a response to Jesus being like, just trust me. It's fine. 
they asked. What sign will you perform? When our ancestors were wandering in the desert, they ate bread. Just as the sacred teachings tell us, from the spirit world above, he gave them bread to eat. And so like, this doesn't feel super outlandish for folks to ask because Jesus has just performed two miracles. So they're like, okay, you hooked us. Like, reel us in. Like, we're almost there. Listen closely, creator sets free, who's Jesus, answered. Drawn from the water, Moses, did not give you the bread from the spirit world above. It's my Father who gives you the true bread that comes down from the spirit world above. This bread gives the life of beauty and harmony in the world. Honored one, they said. From now on, give us the bread. Creator sets free, smiled, held out his arms to them and said, I am the bread of life that came down from the spirit world above. The ones who come to me will hunger no more. The ones who trust me will thirst no more. He lowered his arms and with a heavy heart continued, but even as I told you before, you have seen me, but you still do not trust me. The ones my father has given to me will come to me. They're a gift from my father that I will always keep. I'm going to pause because I notice as I'm reading this passage, something is happening in my body in this moment. Like I have this movie playing, which is like how I read. Um, I have a movie playing in my head. And I'm picturing Jesus in the beginning of that, that section where he smiles, where he's like, ah, this is the moment. This is the moment I'm going to share, you know, who I am. It's going to be so great. And then he says it and maybe is not getting the response that, that he hoped for or thought he might get. And I imagine that moment when he realizes it's not happening that way. And the smile falters. Perhaps there's a moment of panic in his eyes, confusion, defeat, and grief. And it's from that place that Jesus continues the next part of the passage. I came down from the spirit world above, from the one who sent me to walk his path, not to walk my own. He wants me to keep safe the ones who have given me and bring them back to, back to life again at the end of all days. The ones who see who the Son truly is will put their trust and hope in him and have the life of the world to come that never fades away. Yes, I will bring them back to life again at the end of all days, for this is what my Father who sent me wants. Upon hearing this, the tribal members complained, Who is this bread from the spirit world above? Is this not the son of he who gives sons, Joseph? We know his mother and father. How can he say, I, come, I came down from the spirit world above? Stop grumbling to each other, he answered. The only ones who come to me have been drawn by my father. These are the ones I will bring back to, the li to life at the end of all days. The sacred teachings from the prophets of old tell us there will come a time when the great spirit will instruct everyone. That is why the ones who hear and listen to the Father come to me. And remember something that we talked about at the beginning of this series. One of the, the author of the Gospel of John's favorite te techniques is to bring a prophecy up of like, okay, I'm proving the point here. Remember, this was written way long ago, and that's what's happening here. The only one who has seen the Father is the one sent from the Great Spirit. This one has clearly seen the Father. I speak truth from my heart. The ones who thrust, trust in me... <laughs> Oh, sorry, who trust in me have the life of the world to come and never fades away, full of beauty and harmony. 
I am the bread that gives life. Your ancestors ate bread in the desert wilderness, and they died. Here, standing before you, is the bread that comes down from above. The ones who eat this bread will not die. I am the living bread from above. The ones who eat this bread will live beyond the end of all days. And this is the bread that I will give as a gift to the world, my human body. His words caused a great division among the tribal members, and they began to argue with one another. How can this be? they asked. Will he give us his flesh to eat? Not shocking that (laughs) that comes up, I think. I speak from my heart, he answered. The only way to have my life in you is to eat the body of the true human being and drink his blood. Then the life of the world to come will be yours, and at the end of all days I will bring your body back to life. My body is true food. My blood is pure drink. The ones who eat and drink my body and blood live in me and I live in them. In the same way the living Father sent me and gave me this, his life, the ones who feed on me will have my life. The bread from above is not like the bread our ancestors ate and then died. This bread gives the life of the world to come that never fades away, full of beauty and harmony. These are the words he spoke to the people at the gathering house in Village of Comfort. This is the word of the Lord. So preparing for today's passage, um, or today's message with this passage, was a pretty interesting experience. The most commentaries that you um, read on this part of scripture focus on communion, um, arguing for or against the Eucharist being the literal body and blood of Christ. And it's an argument that I have always personally been aware of, but has never like participated in. The church I went to in high school didn't participate in communion. I have a vivid, a pretty vivid memory of the pastor saying that communion was inappropriate because eating the flesh of someone is cannibalism. And I, I don't remember anything else about the, the, the sermon. I hope there's more. I hope there was more to his point. But I just don't, I mean, I was probably like 16. Um, and I do remember thinking like, uh, like that like Inigo Montoya, like, I don't think that means what you think it means. Like, uh, anyway. <laughs> and so I can see, I, I can see how this passage would contribute to the discussion about communion. But what I found more compelling when I, was reading it was not just like is communion truly the the body and blood of christ but was really about like the strangeness of the suggestion and the response to it i know that when we are presented with familiar passages like this we can sometimes let our eyes glaze over and relax and perhaps believe that we won't get much new out of it but i was actually really surprised at like how much did come what when i was digging in and so I'd like for us to try and like challenge ourselves to be a little more present <laughs> than we might when we have a familiar passage in front of us. And to do that, I'd like for us to start by imagining ourselves not here in our cool building with warm coffee in our hands, possibly even already full of bread that we toasted this morning and ate for breakfast, but instead use our bodies to imagine that we haven't had bread in a long time. You and your family haven't had much to eat until yesterday, maybe. You were in a crowd, and this man, this Jesus, he somehow made enough food to feed you. You ate until your belly swelled and ached. You shared with your neighbors. You watched your family members eat their fill. 
perhaps you're still full. You ever eat one of those big meals where like two days later you're like, that Indian food is still there. <laughs> it's always Indian food. <laughs> perhaps you're still full, holding your tummy. You followed this man having no idea maybe who he was until then, but knowing that this miracle was special and that being fed was an act of care that you couldn't turn away from. So you went. You can't ignore the way your body feels in this moment, the safety that comes when your hunger was put to rest. That is the experience that a lot of the people in this crowd following Jesus right now are experiencing. People that have been exiled, exploited, pushed to the ground and kept there. And then mixed in (laughs) are people who are approaching Jesus and demanding more miracles. Like they're like not happy with the ones that they've gotten already. And it's interesting that the ones that haven't experienced the hunger, the ones that are in power, the ones that are used to hearing their voice, so they're using it to speak up, don't know what it's like to ache in the ways that the others do are the ones demanding more miracles. The miracle of the loaves and fishes from earlier, fishies, aren't from earlier doesn't sit the same with them. It's neat, but it's not enough. We can get bread anytime we want. What else have you got? The privilege of these folks allows them to ignore the messages that their bodies could be sending them. They're disconnected to one of the most important parts of their human experience. The very thing that God chose for Christ to inhabit in the incarnation. This thing that provides a lot of information, their bodies. Their comfort has allowed them to separate themselves from any sense of suffering or need, to live outside of themselves in this way. And because of this, I think they missed the invitation that Jesus gives in this passage. And I do want to say that I don't think it's totally shocking that some would not get what Jesus is talking about. He just performed two miracles. They know he can do it, but now he's saying that we should eat his flesh to have everlasting life. (laughs) Okay, sis. Like, what? (laughs) That can't be right. It's one, gross, and two, like, what is that going to do? Like, even if we did eat your flesh, we're not going to, it's not going to last long, you know? Like, we're still going to be hungry later. It's just weird. And I think this is one of those moments where, like, we were talking earlier about, like, we're not, when we queer the text, we're not, like, making it queer. Like, this is already queer. (laughs) Like, this is a strange thing. It's, It's not something they were expecting. It's unsettling. It's outrageous and even scandalous. Why would he say such a thing? Eat his flesh and drink his blood? That made it even weirder. I don't know how. What in the world? It's undignified. And anyway, it doesn't even make sense. All of this from the ones that have never actually experienced hunger. But the others, the hungry ones, the ones that have known the suffering of emptiness, the forgotten ones, the ones that are very aware of their bodies because their daily experience requires them to stay connected to themselves for their own survival. They're curious. They stay quiet, maybe contemplative. This sure is strange, but it's not scaring me away. Perhaps they are more able to hear what Jesus is really saying because they know what an empty belly feels like. And they've been living lives that have been sustained not on bread, but on hope and love and relationships for so long that this strange connection to Jesus is, that, that Jesus is suggesting isn't that scandalous to them. It actually kind of makes sense. 
It's what's been sustaining them for a while. They're able to see an illustration <laughs> when it's being used and aren't stuck on the literalism of this weird thing that Jesus just said. This man that just cared for them is promising to do it again and again and again, and we kind of have to follow. We're not sure why. It's the ones that are connected to their bodies that are able to hear Jesus so loudly when he says, I am the bread of life, the second of Jesus's I am statements, the first one made public. Last week we learned that the first time Jesus tells us who he is, he does so in private with a woman that would have been the last person on earth who should have received that information. And in that exchange, he defines himself as another source of sustenance that is necessary. He is living water, one of the things we can't live without. With him, we'll never be thirsty. And today Jesus decides to make his public announcement another coming out, another revelation of his whole self. He is this other thing we can't live without, bread. Sorry, gluten-free folks. And remember that the way this gospel is written, it's, not, it's for everyone. The language used by the evangelist here is accessible to all, not, no matter their status, no matter their education. And it's full of illustrations like this. In this gospel, Jesus doesn't speak in parables. Jesus uses images to get us to understand who he really is. It's like we're playing this really important game of Blue's Clues, and so far in our handy-dandy notebook, we've got water and bread. And so he's trying to tell everyone there that they need him. But because some of them don't know what it's like to need anything, including bread, they don't get it. Those that have had enough food but still hunger for a miracle won't be able to see the one that's right in front of them. And I think there's a challenge there for us, too. It's possible, even likely, that many of us haven't experienced the type of suffering that our friends in this passage have. I hope not. Um, theologian Simone Weil, she's one of my favorites. She's very weird. Um, <laughs> she believed that suffering like this was actually necessary to fully accept and know Christ, to the point that she died of starvation after working in a factory with oppressed and marginalized folks for the last years of her life. And I love her, but I think, I'm not sure I go that far <laughs> with, with what she was thinking. I tend to think that even if we haven't experienced one type of suffering, we have probably experienced another. And even if we haven't, I think we are all capable of learning the empathy that can challenge us and allow us to understand what's really happening with Jesus here. There are ones arguing with Jesus, and even after our passage, a uh, part that we didn't read, they leave him and return to the comfort of their lives. Why would they risk that to follow this guy? But I wonder about some of the others that stuck around, even though they hadn't experienced the starvation of most of the crowd. The ones that saw the mysterious connection between Jesus and these followers, who said, I don't fully understand or know that hunger in my belly, but I get hunger in a different sense. Hunger for something beyond what I know. And that is a hunger that is sated with the bread of life. It's a hunger that is bigger than what we can feel in our bodies, but may only be able to understand because of them. It makes me think of the things that we know because something in our bodies tell us, like when we fall in love and our bodies feel at home with another person. It's strange and it doesn't make sense, 
and yet it's the most sensible thing at the same time. It's the longing you've always had but maybe didn't even realize was there, but once you get a taste of the answer of it, you can't stop thinking about it. I thought of that in verse 56 when Jesus says, the ones who eat and drink my blood and drink my body and blood live in me and I live in them. Other translations say abide. It can be translated into remains or dwells. This idea of it's not a short visit. We're not just like taking in Jesus for a little while. He is making a home in us so that we can make a home in him. It is strange and it doesn't make sense and yet it is the most right thing. Something in our bodies is telling us that. It's a longing that we have always had that didn't realize was there, but once you get a taste of the answer to it, you can't stop thinking about it. Most importantly, I think, in this moment in our scripture, though, is that it isn't at all what some people wanted to hear. Even me. Even now, it might be what some of us don't want to hear. It would, way, it would be way more easy, <laughs> way easier for us to just get a miracle <laughs> and be like, okay, that's the right answer. But we don't get one. In that moment, we, it, sorry, in a moment, we're going to take communion. We're going to take in the body and blood of Christ, whether literal or not, I think you get to decide. And when we do that, I think we're agreeing to what Jesus suggests here in our passage. We're taking him in so that we can live in him and maybe we don't get it. Maybe each week we don't think about it much. We just really like bland crackers and tart juice. But today, I'd like for us to think, as we're participating in communion, to consider the intimacy of the relationship that we are practicing, and that we're doing it all together. It's not just us and Jesus us and everyone in this room and people all over the world all taking in Christ all accepting the invitation to live in him so when you come to the table come when you notice your body telling you to come when you notice hunger not the hunger that your bagel this morning took care of but that longing for home for belonging for yourself and your loved ones that you feel in your body somewhere. Notice the pool and come to the table. Amen.